Father, we do ask for the anointing of your spirit on the giving and receiving of your word. And again, Father, we don't take this for granted. We need you to do what only you can do, and that is to speak through a man, Lord, and I just come in weakness and ask you to overcome everything in me and about me that hinder you from speaking now by your spirit. Prepare our hearts to receive your word and change us to be like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. You know, several years ago, we had a dear lady in our church who had stage four malignant cancer, and she had decided she would spend her last days in her own home. She wanted to die in her house with her family around. And she did something that she didn't tell anybody about, and that is she took three uh, empty blank diaries that you can buy at a store, and she wrote and filled each one of them for her three adult daughters what she wanted to say to them before she died. And after she died, I was in, at the home in the living room uh, with the three grown daughters and her husband, and as we're sitting there talking about the funeral arrangements, one of the grown daughters noticed something underneath the couch sticking out a little bit, and she reached down to pick it up, and it was the diary her mother had written to her. So then he looked under the couch and found the other two, and the three daughters <clears throat> began to weep as they began to read their last words from their mother very personally just to them. At that point, it became so personal, I excused myself and said, I'll come back later. As I thought about that, time, I've actually shared that story with others who have done the same. When I think about that, I think that's something like what the Apostle Paul does in his last epistle to his young son in the faith, Timothy. These are his last words and thoughts to his dearest companion he had, the young man he led to faith who's now in his mid-30s, who he trusted more than anyone he trusted. And his last writing to Timothy is the, the epistle of 2 Timothy. But it's also the last thing Paul wrote at all. It's his last epistle. and becomes his most personal epistle when we come to this ending. And I want us to go ahead and begin that today, and I'll actually finish that next week. But I want us to begin 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 1. We'll take verses 1 through 8 this morning. <clears throat> It goes like this. Remember, this is Paul who realizes he's about to die. He's about to be martyred. And he's there's last words to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 1, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, this is the fourth time he says it in the book. To Timothy, but you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the future there is later for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So again, I want you to just picture this. The Apostle Paul, he's in a Roman dungeon. He's in chains. He knows his execution is upon him. In fact, many think that it was days away or even sooner than that. Because he realized his departure, he said, had come. It was there. It was about to happen. And he basically says to Timothy, I'm about to go to and be with the Lord. And I have fulfilled my ministry. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. And I want you to know this, Timothy, because you still have a fight you must fight, and you still have a race you must finish, and you still have the faith that's been passed down to you that you must keep. I want you to know, Timothy, that finishing well matters. It matters. It matters that you finish this race, Timothy. It's going to be worth it. A crown of righteousness, he says, awaits me, Paul says. Then he goes on to say, not just me, Timothy, but a crown awaits all those who have loved the appearing of the Lord. And that includes you, Timothy. So don't give up. Don't give in to this pressure, this drift. Fulfill your ministry. By the way, in verse 5, when he says fulfill your ministry, that is the main imperative of this passage. Everything else circles this point. He says, I have fulfilled my ministry, Timothy, and I stand at death's door, and I want you to know that it's worth it to fulfill your ministry. It's worth it. The reward that I'm about to receive, Timothy, he says, is just, it's incomparable. The victor's wreath they're going to put on my head at the end of this race is, is, is going to be so worth all the discipline, all the sacrifice, all the training and righteousness, all the hardship. It's worth it all, Timothy. He wants Timothy to understand this. So, Timothy, endure whatever comes your way because it's going to be worth it. Fulfill your ministry that Christ has given you, Timothy, because it's going to be worth it. Well, then Paul gets more specific about what that ministry is specific to Timothy. Back to verse 2. 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So Timothy, no matter what the culture does, whatever pressures are against you, whatever stream of flow you've got to go against, whatever opposition comes your way, no matter how unpopular it becomes to preach the Bible, Timothy says, preach the word. And you say, well, what is the word? Well, This is where it's important sometimes when you are just studying your Bible to ignore the chapter divisions. The chapter divisions in your Bible are not part of the inspired text. They're added to make things easier for us to find things. So if we ignore the chapter division of chapter 4, then and just we can see that the content of preach the word becomes clear. 
Let's just read it, starting in 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is inspired, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be adequate, complete, equipped for every good work. But then he keeps going. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. So he's clearly talking about preaching the scriptures. All scripture. It's all inspired. It's all profitable. Preach the whole counsel of God, Timothy. And show the people that when you're preaching that that is coming from the word of God that you're preaching. But know this, he goes on to say, when you do that, there's going to be opposition. There will be opposition to you preaching the word. And he goes on in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, listen to this, teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. So again, he's saying, understand this, Timothy, days are coming when some people will no longer accept sound biblical teaching, and some of them will even leave your church, Timothy, because of it. They'll leave your church, and they'll go and try to find teachers who scratch where they itch. And some will eventually wander off into myths. His point is, but don't let that deter you. Don't let that deter you when that happens. It's going to happen. It's not a sign of your failure, Timothy. So don't quit. Fulfill your ministry. Again, that's the imperative that drives this passage. That means, what he's saying there, that means for people like me and other people who teach here at Grace, that we're not supposed to be surprised if some people decide they don't want to be in this church anymore because we preach the Bible. We're not supposed to be surprised by that. We're supposed to expect that will happen. That will happen. But this is not only an encouragement to Timothy and to preachers throughout history to finish the course that they've been given in spite of opposition, but I think there's also a warning in this to congregations. And here's a warning I want you to feel this morning. That is this. The root problem of those who reject sound biblical teaching is not intellectual. At least he's not addressing that here in this passage. The root problem for why some people will reject sound biblical teaching is not intellectual. <clears throat> Paul doesn't say they won't endure sound teaching because they disagree intellectually. He doesn't say that does he? He says they'll, they'll, they'll reject sound teaching because they itch. Because of the itching. That's what he says in verse 3. Because they leave because they itch. And Timothy, you're not scratching where they itch, or your teaching does not enable them to scratch where they itch, or at least make it comfortable to do so. So what they want to do is find some teachers who do that. 
And also notice that Paul doesn't say they accumulate teachers to suit their own ideas. He doesn't say that. He says they accumulate teachers to suit their own desires. Their own desires. See, underneath the rejection of truth, there's always something deeper. Namely, desires. Desires that are being threatened by that truth. That's what Paul calls the itch. There was a movie in 1955 entitled The Seven-Year Itch, starring Marilyn Monroe. And the basic idea of the movie was that after seven years of marriage, the average male is no longer satisfied, is no longer satisfied with his wife, and so he begins itching for someone else. That's, the, that's basically the plot of the movie. So the itch refers to the man's lust in that movie. Well, that's not very far from what Paul has in mind here. Because he, he says the itch has to do with human passions, human desires. After I graduated from high school, my first job, before, I was waiting to start college. I worked at an airport. We were fueling airplanes. And one of the guys that I worked with was an older man and been working there many years. He kept telling me about all of his sexual exploits. But then he would listen on the radio to this one particular radio preacher consistently. So I finally asked him, I said, how, does, how do those two things match up? <clears throat> and he said, oh, he used to go to a church that said what he was doing was sin. So he decided to go to a different church. Eventually, he found a preacher that basically says it's okay to do what he does, and he likes that preacher. In other words, he found a teacher who allows him to scratch where he itches. A friend of mine, Dr. Norman Geisler, great apologist, philosopher, author of Buku's books, was debating an atheist at Boston University on their campus. And afterward, they had coffee together, and the atheist looked across the table to have a coffee with him and said, do you want to know why, really why I don't believe in God? And Dr. Geister said, yeah, I really would. And he said, I'll tell you why I don't believe in God, because it's morally uncomfortable for me to do so. In other words, he wants to be able to scratch where he itches, Right? And he doesn't want some belief system that restricts that or makes him feel guilty about that. So he's got a system that he can go ahead and just scratch where he itches. So let me say this, uh, for whatever teachers you allow to have input into your life, don't ever settle for teachers who never challenge you to walk in holiness. Don't ever settle for teachers who never challenge you to lose your life that you might find it. Amen. Don't ever settle for teachers who never challenge you to sacrifice now for eternal rewards later. Don't settle for teachers who never challenge you scratching where you itch. Well, then Paul goes on to challenge Timothy in verse 5. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship do the work of an evangelist, and here it is again. This is the main imperative. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. 
Yes, it's going to be hard. There's going to be opposition. But fulfill your ministry. By the way, that same charge is for all of us. We don't necessarily have the same specific ministry as Timothy or, or the same specific ministry as the person you're sitting next to. But this charge is applicable to all of us in this room from the Lord, and that is fulfill your ministry. Your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. God has called everyone in this room and everyone live streaming. He's called us to ministry of some sorts. You know, we talk about this acrostic with the word shape, that you've been shaped to serve God. And no one's shape is the same. The word shape stands for, S stands for spiritual gifts. You have at least one spiritual gift. Find out what it is. Be using it. H stands for heart passions. There's something you're passionate about. They're really, you, you are intrinsically motivated, desire to do, accomplish. What is that? Go well, do it for God. A stands for abilities. God's given you some abilities, some abilities that you just, you, you've, you've done a lot and you've learned a lot. You've been trained in, you've been educated in. What are those abilities? Don't just use them in the workforce. Use them in the church. P stands for personality type. You have a certain personality type. God does not want you to try to be like someone else in their personality. He doesn't want introverts to have to, you know, psych up to be extroverts. Be who you are. And E stands for experiences, your life experiences. Why have you had the experiences you've had? They have shaped you. They have formed you. How can God use that experience to impact others? So fulfill your ministry. We talk about things like take the shape survey, meet with the pastor, let us help kind of, you know, guide you on where that ministry might be and help, you know, maybe there's one that already exists that you fit in. Maybe there's one we need to start new, but you have a ministry. Fulfill it. Fulfill your ministry. Then he goes on to say in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. There are some scholars who think that this statement he makes is so strong that he believes in his mind is hours away that the executioner is coming. And I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And Timothy's saying, in order for you to fulfill your calling, here's his point, there's a fight you're going to have to fight. There is a race that you must finish, and there is the faith that has been handed down to you that you must keep. But I'd like to use that now for, for just application-wise for all of us. In order for you to fulfill your ministry, the same is also true. In order for you to fulfill the ministry that God has given you, there is a fight you must fight. It's not going to be easy to fulfill your ministry. There's a race that you must finish. It's going to take a long endurance to do this, to finish your ministry. You must finish it. There's a, the faith you must keep it against the opposition, against all of the you know, conventional wisdom of the day. So let's just walk through that. First of all, there's a fight you must fight to fulfill your ministry. Colossians 1.16 is one of the uh, verses that has really impacted my life in a powerful way, and I'll tell you why. It says this, For by him, referring to Christ, for by him all things were created, Think about that. By Christ, many of us have Jesus way too small. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. All things include you and me. That means you've been created by Christ and for Christ. You never have to wonder, why am I here? What is my, what is my, why do I exist? You never have to wonder. 
You exist for the glory of Christ. That is why you exist. That is your purpose on the earth. You exist for Christ. But there is a real enemy that does not want Christ being glorified. So he will do everything he can do to keep you from glorifying Christ. The devil and all of his minions, their goal is for you not to glorify Christ. You've been created to glorify Christ. The devil does not want Christ glorified. So he is against you. He's opposed to you fulfilling your ministry. The devil and all of his minions, a third of the angels, the dragon's tail swept out of heaven that are now demons, these fallen angels, their whole goal is to keep you and me from glorifying Christ. Their goal is to keep you and me from fulfilling our ministry. We see it in the book of Acts. Right? When you start the book of Acts, you get to chapter 4, and we have the first devil's first strategy is persecution of the church. Acts chapter 5, next strategy, moral compromise. Moral compromise. Next strategy, chapter 6, distraction. And an attempt at division. So the devil knows he cannot stop the message. So he's got to try to stop the messenger. So what will he do? He'll bring pressures against you and me. He'll bring pressures to try to, from the outside to intimidate you. Through intimidation, keep you from fulfilling your ministry. And some of you are not fulfilling your ministry because you're intimidated. Maybe it's because you're worried about what people think about you. Maybe it's what you might lose, a friendship, a job, or whatever it is. But there's some intimidation that's keeping some of you from fulfilling your ministry. If that doesn't work, the devil will bring pressure from the inside. He'll do his best to get you just morally fold up. If he can get you to morally compromise, you won't fulfill your ministry. Then he'll get you under guilt and shame, condemnation, and he doesn't have to worry about you anymore. If that doesn't work, he'll try to bring about distraction. Okay, instead of fulfilling your ministry, you're off doing all this other stuff. And now you're too busy to fulfill your ministry. If he can't get you to get the uh, distraction at work, then division. Because the devil heard Jesus say, the devil heard Jesus say, a house divided cannot stand. So he's like, aha. Now if I can just divide this house. So the devil will do everything to do to try to stop you and me from filling our ministry. So what do we do? Well, we got to fight. We got to do a, a good fight. There's going to be a fight. We're going to have to resist the devil. There's going to have to be a resistance to the pressures that come against us. If you do not resist the devil, he will prevail. Now, don't misunderstand me. He will not win the war. Jesus said that he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he will win some battles. Don't let that battle, one of those battles be you. So you have a fight you must fight if you're going to fulfill your ministry. Will you fight it? Then he goes on. But you also have a race you must finish. Again, and I've been talking about in this series that there is this, I don't know what else to call it, it's almost like a disease that has crept into the church in America, causing it just to drift. In order for us to finish our race, we're going to have to resist this drift. It's going to take endurance. You know what's interesting? If you, when you study the Bible, that hardly any of the biblical characters in the Bible finish well. It's really stunning. Hardly any of them finish well. Finishing matters. It matters that we finish well. You know, one of my loves, loves in life has, has been track and field. I, I've loved it. I, and some, a lot of my friends were distance runners. 
and I would go to the cross-country meets, and I'd, and I'd be out there cheering them on as they're run, running these long distances, and sometimes I'd be at the end standing by the judge as they're coming through, and he had a clipboard with their names on it. And one day, one day I noticed he had DNF by some of the names. DNF means did not finish. And so they're disqualified. They're just disqualified because they didn't finish. It's like they never even ran it. They didn't finish. Finishing matters. So you have a race. And some of you have run this race. You started well, and you did pretty good in the middle, but now you've retired from your race, and you're still, your heart's still beating. You're still breathing. Finish your race. And then he says, keep the faith. You know, there is a faith that we must keep. There is a beauty and simplicity of the gospel of salvation that you don't ever let go of. Gospel means good news. This good news of salvation, that God so loved the world, he sent his only son, Jesus. The son of God becomes a man, baby born in Bethlehem, grows up, lives a sinless life, goes to the cross, bears all of our sins and judgment, absorbs it all for us, rises in three days after that to prove that the cross worked. Never, never lose the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. And also, never let go of the truth and the power of the word of God. Don't let anybody convince you that it's anything less than the full truth and everything you need in the truth and the power of the Word of God by the Spirit of God. But Paul knows after all this, it's going to be hard for Timothy to hang in there. He, we already talked about Timothy being somewhat frail, somewhat timid, and he knows it's going to be hard. And so he, again, he's, he's, he's encouraging and exhorting Timothy, hang in there, resist the flow, resist the hardship. Reject the, you know, I mean, don't let the constant rejection stop you. So now at this point, Paul's going to really kick in and point out that what motivated him is going to have to motivate Timothy and is going to have to motivate all of us. And that is an eternal perspective that the rewards are worth the resistance. The rewards, the rewards coming are worth the sacrifice. The rewards coming are worth all the hardship. The rewards coming are worth all the rejection. They're worth it all. That's why he says what he says. In verse 8, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, what does it mean to love his appearing? Well, it simply means that, you know, that we long for him, we want him, we want to be with him, we treasure him, we desire him. That's what it means. And so what's the key to attaining this crown that he's talking about? Well, the key to it is living in light of the return of Christ. And there's a moment that Paul has in his mind. He has a moment. He calls it that day. There's a moment he has in his mind called that day that motivated him to keep on. And I want us to talk about that day for a moment. Because what Paul's talking about here is something he's talked about in other passages. So that, that day has got to be something we're conscious about if we're going to finish well and fight this fight to the end. But that day he has in mind, there's an event called, and he calls it this in the other, another passage, called the Judgment Seat of Christ. Many of you heard about it. If you've been in the church very long, you hear me talk about it time and time again on purpose. I think it's one of the most untaught truths in the church around the world Everywhere I go when I travel, I teach on this, and, and there's pastors all over the world who have never heard about it. And it's clearly in the Bible, and it's so crucial for our motivation. Let's read about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. 
Therefore, we also have as our ambition, and this is, again, this is Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to believers. He says all of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians what motivated him to stay pleasing to the Lord. He says what motivated him was looking forward to that day. The day when we will appear before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And I want us to break it down because there's a lot taught about it. And so just so we have it clear for some of you, this will be a review. For some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard this. But this is crucial. First, what is the judgment seat of Christ? Well, again, Paul is writing to the Corinthians here. And he's writing to a very sports-minded society about like us. We're a very sports-minded society. He has in his mind something called the Isthmian Games. Now, these games were kind of a precursor to the Olympic Games. And what happened during these games, during these kind of pre-Olympic games they had in the Greek peninsula, was the judge, would, would, he would actually, he would preside over the games on a raised platform. And as he, and he stood on the raised platform, the judge of these games, these the sporting games, would do two things. He would, make, he, would, he would actually observe how all the athletes are performing. And then at the end of their event, from that raised platform, he would reward the athletes. Back then, it was kind of like a lettuce leaf wrapped around your forehead, you know, that dries up and blows away one day. But that was the reward. And so he has that in mind. And what he's saying is simply this. There's a day coming where Christ, who's on the raised platform, is watching all of us right now. As Christians, how we, are we fulfilling our ministry or not? Are we walking faithfully? Are we doing it with right motives? All these things, he's watching. And then when he comes again, he's going to reward each believer according to how they've walked out this Christian life. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is. So that's what it is. Now, number two question is, who's it for? Well, it's for Christians, for believers. It's not for non-believers. Non-believers have a judgment they're going to call the great white throne judgment at Revelation 20. And that is a judgment where books are opened and all, every sin you've ever done has been cataloged and you are judged according to your sins. And there's degrees of punishment in hell. That's the great white throne judgment. No believer appears at that judgment. Why? Because we've already, Christ already bore our judgment on the cross, Right? Our judgments already happened for our sins. He bore it on the cross. And now the book that we're in is the book of life, Lamb's book of life. Your name's in there. And so you don't appear at the great white throne judgment. You appear at a different judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. So when does that happen? Well, the Bible tells us when it happens. It happens when Christ returns. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes. Before the Lord comes. That's the time he's talking about. Who will bring to light things now hidden and in darkness, in darkness and will disclose the purposes or the motives of the heart that every man will receive his commendation from God. So this judgment occurs when Christ comes again. He comes again. We meet him in the air. And, uh, and I think that... Before, 
before he actually comes in, before they release the actual judgment of God through the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, I think that's when it takes place, but that's another sermon. So it takes place when Jesus comes. Now, what happens there? Here's what happens there. It, it, describes, it describes in 1 Corinthians 3 what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. Look at it. Starting verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. That's when you're born again, you're saved. You're going to heaven, so that's the foundation. Now, verse 12. If any man built on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it. There's a day coming. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, makes it through the fire, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, because we're talking about believers, yet as through fire. So again, I want you just to picture this scene now, picture I mean, your whole life, as a, your, like your Christian life is now just, some of it is wood, hay, and stubble. You just, you know, self-centered. You just did it for yourself. You wasted time and opportunity. And some of it was gold, silver, precious stones. You really did this for God and for Christ and for his, with right motives. And so here's your life, and then there's just, you know, imagine some angel giant match and just sets it on fire. The fire comes, and, and everything, wood, hay, and stubble burns up. No rewards for that. That's the point. You get no rewards for that. But the gold, you know, silver, precious stones, what you did for Christ stays. And that is a measurement of your reward. That's the commendation you will get, the rewards you get, the crown on your head, the future assignments you can be trusted with forever and ever. What an awesome scene to have in your mind, to be motivated to live right now, highly motivated to follow Christ and fulfill your ministry. Now, here's the question. Why are we told about the judgment seat of Christ? Why are we told about this truth? We're told about it, very simply, so we'll be motivated to live in light of that day. We're told about it to live a motivated life. Imagine this. Imagine a school teacher that announces to every student, the first day of class, hey, by the way, students, Everyone's going to get the same grade. Doesn't matter if you come to class or not. Doesn't matter if you do the homework. Doesn't matter how you, how you score and test. None of that matters. Everybody's going to get the same grade. How motivating would the students be to study hard? They wouldn't be. See, the problem today in the church is that most Christians believe that everyone just gets the same thing, and that is heaven. Christians just get, all Christians just get, they get the same thing, they all just get heaven. And that is not the truth of the Bible. It is true that when we turn to Jesus as Savior and Lord, our sins are forgiven, and we do get heaven, so to speak. We get eternal, the gift of eternal life. But there's so much more. What would happen if every believer on earth realized the judgment seat of Christ is coming, and, and that you're going to be rewarded on the basis of your faithfulness right now to fulfill your ministry? How, how, how much would that change the entire, you know, struck, you know, entire system of what's going on on the earth? It would dramatically change it. And Paul was motivated that way. In fact, he goes on. Let's see what, he, what, he, what else he said to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. 
You let a sleep wrapped around their head, it dries up and blows away. Perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He said, but the crown we get, it lasts forever and ever. So he's like, we got a whole different motivation. Our crown is imperishable. I mean, how, how, how much should that motivate us? When you think about, you know, athletes and, and all the discipline and sacrifice they make for this, for what? I mean, I think about, you know, days when I was involved in athletics and, and, and playing hurt and disciplining myself and sacrificing for the, you know, for the home team. No one even remembers your name. And it's, it's like, but you did all that for a perishable crown. And Paul's saying, but we're, but we're living this life for Christ for an imperishable crown. He's saying, fulfill your ministry. It's going to be worth it at the judgment seat of Christ. And he goes on to say how he lived. Paul says, here's how I lived. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Uh, he's not being disqualified. He's not talking about losing his salvation. He's talking about this fearful possibility that he would lose potential rewards forever. See, the problem is, if we're just honest, the problem is that many of us in this room and live streaming, we're not living for Christ. We're living for ourselves. If we're just honest, we're not. We're not really not living for Christ. We're living for ourselves. We're living with wrong purposes, and we're not prepared. We're not motivated. And, and we just got to ask ourselves the question, do I really believe this stuff or not? Because if I really believe this, I ought to be living for it. So Paul's talking about a way of life that I would describe as this. And I put it this way, advanced decision-making and delayed gratification. Advanced decision-making is this. Okay, I'm going to look at my schedule. What's coming? The week coming? The month coming? The year coming. And I'm going to look at my life and I want to say, how do I want to live this week? Well, I got to be at work these hours or I got to go to school these hours. And Okay, how do I want to spend these, the, the times I have, other times I have? Advanced decision making. Make that decision in advance. So I put in my schedule things like, well, I need to have time to, to pray and, and to worship and to study my Bible and to do evangelism and missions and mercy ministry. There's certain things I need to use my gift this way or that way. So I get that in my schedule in advance. I just schedule it. Advanced decision-making. And then delayed gratification. Then when it comes up in my schedule, I just delay gratification to do what's in my schedule. That's what, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take delayed gratification. So you think, well, you know, I look at my schedule and say, Callie, I don't know if I want to do that now. And you start whining, I don't know. Oh. But you already made the decision. You made the decision thinking about the judgment seat of Christ. Stick with the decision. Well, it's hard. I know it's hard. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. It is hard to fulfill your ministry. That's why you're going to have to fight the good fight. That's why you're going to have to endure to finish the race. It's hard. But do it. Why? Because it's worth it, Timothy. It's worth it. So I just want, I want to live my life that way, and I want to encourage you to live your life that way. And because I tell you, you can't look at the news these days without seeing some Something about that's prophesied in the Bible to happen being blazing across the headlines. I mean, the days are coming quick. And Christ is coming. 
This is a real event. It's going to be the, this is a real day when you stand before him. And, and it's just going to be you in front of him. And I'm telling you when, you, when he says, well done, Joe, Kathy, you're going to see his lips move. I mean, it's real. This is a real thing. So live in light of that day because it's going to be worth it. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy before he dies. He's like, that's the last thing Paul, he's got to say. But Timothy, you've got to do it because it's going to be worth it. I fulfilled my ministry, Timothy, and now I'm heading for that crown. Fulfill yours because it's going to be worth it. 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared, prepared for those who love him. Let's close in prayer. I want you guys to stand for a moment. Some of you are not stepping out to fulfill your ministry because of fear of failure. This is what the Lord put in my heart to close. The fear of failure is a stronghold. It's a bondage. And Christ can break any bondage. Can he? He can break any bondage. So during his closing song, and it's going to be it's going to be up on the screen, the closing song. But those of you that are saying, you know what? I'm ready to step out and bring that bondage to this altar up here and just say, Lord, here, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I want you to break this fear of failure. I'm just, there's something on fear of rejection, fear of failure. There's something right now that's holding me back from stepping out to fulfill my ministry. And Lord, I want that change today, and I'm asking you to break it off of me. Do you believe Christ can do that? Yes. That wasn't a very powerful yes. So during the song, if that's you, just I want you to encourage you to come on down, and we're going to pray over this, and, uh, and something's, something's going to happen. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would just cause faith to rise up in our hearts. Father, we ask, would you just release a ministry of your spirit right now for breaking bondages in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just pray that any stronghold right now cannot hold up during this time. In the name of Jesus, that it be broken, Lord. This way of thinking, this, this structure of thoughts will be broken with this truth, Lord. You are the truth, Jesus. So just you coming in, we ask you to release your kingdom power. Release your power. So go ahead and start that video. And as it's playing, you're saying, that's me. I, I just want... I just need you to break that bondage. Lord, I pray you just make this a safe place for everybody, that no one will be concerned right now about what anyone thinks, if we're all family. But Lord, we, we need to fulfill our ministries, and we need to see things broken that are stopping that. In the name of Jesus. So if that's you, just come on up. Let's just break that off today. Let's break it today. Don't carry that bondage out the door with you. Let's break it off today. Come on down. Many of you come out of your seats and lay hands on these. Go ahead and come up here quickly. Let it come, Lord.
Come quickly. Pray by faith. Pray believing now. You that came up here, leave it now. Leave that bondage. Leave it here. Leave it here. Father, we just, in Jesus' name, we ask for the breaking of every bondage of fear, fear of rejection, fear of failure. Just break it off right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just start to pray out loud, those of you that are praying. Just pray out loud right down there. If you're still in your seat, just kind of extend your hands to the front. Engage your faith praying for these. Don't let it come, Lord. Come, Lord. Jesus gave you the ministry you are to fulfill. He gave it to you. He'll empower you to do it. Believe it right now. He gave it to you. He'll empower you to do it. Believe it right now. Father, we ask you right now, Lord, we just give you, we just give you the fears, Lord, we give them to you. Fear of failure, fear of rejection. We believe right now that, that you're the one who gave us this, that ministry and you will empower us to do it. And right now we're believing that. We believe it, we receive that. And Lord, we, we, this week, Lord, we pray that we begin to see the fruit of that now. Pray all of us, Lord, would there be a soberness to us about fulfilling our ministry because of the judgment seat of Christ. None of us want to look in your eyes that day and shrink back. Lord, so I just pray, Lord, cause this, this to be a message that will never, never leave us in our thinking, Lord, that we look forward to that day. We live every day in light of that day. That day, because that day, it'll all be worth it. Thank you so much. We look forward to it, Lord. Speed it up. Speed it up. We pray all in Jesus' name. Everybody says? Amen. 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 God bless you. Give somebody a hug up here, would you?